Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takeshta, and each month we bring you a topic that is related to vision loss, how to cope with vision loss, and other types of devices and tools that may be very helpful. And tonight, we're going to talk about some of the new medical advances that could be very helpful for people with low vision. Now, as many of you may know, there is a tremendous amount of research being performed in all aspects of medicine and science. When we think about just the way that we live each and every day, it's really very, very surprising that all of this technology exists. I am 59 years old, and it kind of reminds me when I was a kid, I would watch a cartoon called The Jetsons, and there were all of these gadgets that people could use, and they could talk, and they could see people on their cell phone, and all of these things are available and present today, and it's just really very, very remarkable about this type of technology. So I want to share with you what are some of these types of advances and developments that are happening in the visual field. Many times I hear people say, you know, with all of this technology, you would think that there wouldn't be any blindness anymore, that they would have had this all cured. Well, the reality of it is that the scientists are very, very close, but the situation is simply that Vision is a very, very extremely complex process. Many times we just think it's a matter of the eyes sending the picture to the brain and we see, but it is really much more complicated because there are so many different types of components, different tissues of the eye. And when people have injury or as we sometimes just get older, these particular types of changes to the tissues of the eyes, it can interfere with our vision. I know that when I first went to optometry school to learn to become an optometrist, I was so surprised with how much we had to learn in anatomy. You know, there are so many different structures of the eye, and these are things that we all really need to study. So the first thing that I'm going to do this evening is that I want to go ahead and review the anatomy of the eye and how does vision actually occur. So the first thing about the eyes is that the eyes are merely receivers of light. They're really designed so that when light strikes the eye, that light energy focuses inside the eye, and the eye will send that electrical signal down a nerve, and it eventually reaches the very back of your brain, right in the very center region. So if you are to feel the back of your skull, right in the very center, you might feel a bump, and that bump right there is actually where the information from your eyes, it's being processed there, and that's how we're able to see and identify people. So the first tissue that light 
is going to strike when it comes towards the eye is a transparent tissue on the very front of the eye, which is called the cornea. Now, the cornea is very, very important because it has the most focusing power in the eye. In other words, if we didn't have the cornea, the light would not be able to focus in the eye and we would not be able to see clearly. Now, there are situations in which the cornea may become damaged. There are some people who have severely dry eyes, and if you do not have enough tears, the cornea can become very, very clouded and white. You may have even seen movies where there are people in the movies who have a clouded or a white cornea and they're blind. I remember when I was a kid, we would watch a show called Kung Fu with David Carradine and one of his instructors, Master Po, he had that type of a white eye. And that's because the cornea is clouded. Now, the cornea plays many other important roles. It also is what's going to focus the light rays into the eye. And if the cornea is not focusing perfectly, the vision that the person will see will be blurry. So, for example, there are some people who have blurred vision and they are not able to see things far away very clearly. That is something that is called nearsightedness. For these people, if they bring things close to their eyes, they could see it clearly. There's also other people who are farsighted. And what that means is that they're able to see things far away clearly, but if they bring something close to them, like a newspaper, oh, they can't see it clearly at all. And for these people who are nearsighted and farsighted, they usually need to be fit with glasses in order to get that type of clear vision. There are also contact lenses that will also correct that type of vision. And there are many people who also have a condition that is called astigmatism. Astigmatism is when the cornea is sort of warped. And when it's warped that way, these people cannot see clearly at any distance. So one of the things that is really incredible nowadays is that there is technology that is able to change the shape of the cornea to make it focus properly. And as a result, when people have this type of surgery, they will have perfect clarity of vision assuming that the rest of their eye and the brain is healthy. And this particular procedure is called LASIK, L-A-S-I-K. And it has evolved over the years, and it's to a point now where it is so precise, and it is so accurate, and it is so fast that people could be in and out and see clearly within 30 minutes. It is just that fantastic. So for people who are not able to wear glasses or that they're bothered by glasses or for many glasses prescriptions, 
if you wear glasses, the world looks a little bit distorted, a little bit curved. And if you have LASIK, we could eliminate the blurriness and eliminate the distortion. And so LASIK is something that is very, very readily recommended for people of all ages, but preferably we hope that a child who is too young, they should not have it until we know that their prescription has stabilized. For some children, their prescription changes every year, and we wouldn't want them to have to have LASIK surgery every year. Now, another thing that is also really very, very interesting about the corneum is that when people have an injury or a scar to the cornea, or if they have other types of conditions such as diabetes, these types of conditions can affect the clarity of the cornea, and that can cause people to be very, very sensitive to bright light or the direct sunlight. So we now know how to make special sunglasses that are going to reduce that type of glare for people with this type of light sensitivity. And it is very, very important that these people do wear sunglasses because that type of light which bothers them, it could damage the tissues inside the eye. So as a general rule, we usually will recommend sunglasses that are going to be polarized. And a polarized type of lens is a type of lens that is very effective at reducing glare. Let's say that you're riding in the car and sometimes the sunlight is bouncing off of the windshield of the car in front of you or the hood. Or it could even be that it's day, that it's raining. It's not real bright, but the light is bouncing off of the wet road. While the polarized lens, it filters out that reflective glare, and it is very, very helpful. Another thing is that the polarized lenses are available in different colors. So for many people, gray is the most popular color. But if we find that for certain people who have other types of eye problems, we often will recommend brown or maybe even amber. And the reason for this is that the brown and the amber lenses, they specifically filter out the blue light. And the color blue light is the most damaging color light to the tissues in the eye. So when we have patients who have macular degeneration, diabetic retinopathy, retinitis pigmentosa, or even albinism. Albinism is a condition where people, they have white hair, white eyes, white skin, and the inside of their eye is white without the pigment. We will prescribe the brown or the amber lens because it will definitely protect the tissues in the eye from further types of damage. So the cornea is a, a very important tissue that we need to look at. Unfortunately, we have a lot of new treatments that could help in terms of visual aids. But another type of new treatment that is available now for the cornea 
is that there are now stem cells, and a stem cell is a very specialized type of a cell which can become activated to become another type of cell. So in other words, for some people who have very damaged corneas, we could implant stem cells into the cornea and it will produce new healthy cornea cells. And for a lot of people, this can really, really restore their vision to a very high level. This is also something that could be very helpful if a person is in a car accident and they have suffered from a scar to the cornea. So we now know that the development of stem cells, which I'll be talking about more in depth a little bit, this is something that is really very, very exciting, very, very popular. All right. Now, after light focuses through the cornea, the cornea will then bend the light so that it goes into the pupil of the eye. Now, the pupil of the eye is the black hole in the very center of the colored part of our eye. The colored part of our eye is called the iris, and the pupil is the black circle in the middle. Now, the pupil it is able to change its size. So if we go out at night and it's very dark, the pupil becomes very large so that more light comes into the eye to help us to see. And if we're at the beach on a very bright day, the pupil will become very small to reduce the amount of light. Now, immediately behind the pupil, there is a different tissue which is called the lens. And the lens of the eye is a very, very important tissue because this lens is literally able to change its shape. And it changes its shape to allow us to focus at different distances. So if you want to read something, it's a newspaper, and you're holding it close, the lens in the eye becomes very thick to help us to focus close. And if we're going to look at something that's very far away, the lens in the eye becomes very, very thin. So that lens is very, very important, and for the first 40 years of our life, the lens is very, very flexible. But after we hit the age of 40, the lens often loses some of that flexibility, and that's why around the age of 40, a lot of us will notice, you know, I can't read as clearly unless I hold the paper further away. Or I got to get right underneath the lamp. Or eventually most of us will then need reading glasses or bifocals. And as time progresses, that lens will also become clouded. We know that the sunlight, the blue light, and the ultraviolet light. They all can cause that lens to become 
less transparent. And when the lens becomes less transparent like that, that is what is called a cataract. Many times when people are younger, they may suffer from an injury and it could cause a cataract. Other people who are taking medications for their body, maybe they need to take steroids. And these steroids could also cause the lens to become discolored, and that's a cataract. Or people who have diabetes will often develop a cataract. Now, in the past, cataracts were very, very serious because it was very difficult to remove the lens of the eye. But today, the advances in surgical techniques are just amazing. The ophthalmologists are able to make a very small incision underneath the upper eyelid, and they could remove the cataract in a matter of seconds. And then an artificial lens is inserted into the eye to give the eye that ability to focus at various distances. And usually the cataract surgery is something that is completed within 15 to 20 minutes. And patients are able to go home that day and they see very, very well. What's also really exciting is that now with the development of the LASIK surgery that we talked about, people can have LASIK surgery to refine the correction, to make the vision precisely very, very sharp. And the LASIK surgery is often performed such that people may no longer need to wear bifocals or reading glasses anymore. So cataracts are something that are very effectively treated and people can really, really greatly improve their vision by having cataract surgery. I would say the one thing that if there's anything I want you all to remember about all of these new techniques and new procedures is that you all should have your eyes checked at least once a year. There's a few reasons for that. Number one, there are techniques and equipment now that the eye examination could be performed very, very quickly so the doctors are able to diagnose any eye problems so much sooner. And if we diagnose the problem sooner, we could then treat it and we could prevent it from getting as bad as if you didn't go to the doctors. And secondly, by going to the eye doctors more frequently, you're going to learn about all of these new treatments that are available because there are so many new treatments that are available that can improve a person's vision. Okay. After the light goes through the cornea, then through the pupil, and then through the crystalline lens, it then goes through the vitreous gel. So if we think of our eyes similar to a marble, 
the marble of the eye, we would say, it has a Vaseline jelly in it, and that is called the vitreous, the vitreous gel. Now, the vitreous gel may develop certain problems in the event that if somebody was injured, let's say you're playing soccer and you headbutt the ball, that could cause the vitreous gel to become detached. And if the vitreous gel becomes detached, sometimes we may see things that appear to be like spider webs. In other cases, it may be that the vitreous gel may become damaged and there might be blood bleeding in the vitreous. Well, the great thing about it is that the ophthalmologists are able to perform surgery to remove the vitreous or to remove the blood, or if there are certain fibrous scars, they could remove that, and they could also replace the gel by using different types of oil. So, excuse me, this particular treatment could be very, very helpful for many people, especially those with diabetes. A lot of people with diabetes experience situations where blood is leaking into the vitreous and it blurs their vision. So, after the light goes through the vitreous gel, it then focuses on the inside surface of the eyeball. So we could think of the inside surface of that marble. It is lined with wallpaper. And this wallpaper is called the retina. Now, the retina is very, very elaborate. And it is made up of millions and millions of cells. Now, there are two different types of cells that make up the retina. The first cell is located right in the center of the retina. I would say it's similar to the bullseye in a dartboard. And those are called cone cells. Now, the significance of the cone cells is that they are really packed into the center of the retina. And they give us the ability to see small details, and they give us the ability to see colors, and they give us our ability to see under bright illumination, under bright light if you're out at the beach or in the sun. Now, one of the things that may happen is that it is possible that those cone cells can become damaged for different reasons. For example, some children are born with inherited conditions, and these inherited conditions affect the function of the cone cells. For example, albinism. Albinism is a condition in which a child does not have the normal coloration to the hair, the skin, and the eyes. And when we look at those cells, the cone cells of people with albinism, we notice that it's just clear. It's very light. We're wondering why doesn't it have more pigment? And the reason for that is that these 
cone cells of the person with albinism, they do not have the normal genes that cause the cell to produce pigment. So in each cell of the body, we have something that is called DNA or our genes. And the genes control how that cell produces different components for that cell. So in a person who has albinism, that gene does not properly tell the cell how to make the pigment. And as a result, those cells in those cone cells of the people with albinism, they do not function normally, and these people then have blurred vision. Now, the area that surrounds the bullseye is the peripheral retina. And the peripheral retina has a different type of cell, and that's called the rod cell. Now, what rod cells do is they give us our ability to see at night, and they also give us the ability to see things that are off in the corners of our eyes, our peripheral vision. So when people have weakness to their peripheral vision, they usually notice that they can't see well at night. They need to hold on to somebody if they're walking at night. And they often will trip and stumble over things at night. Or if they're driving, they just feel very uncomfortable at night. So there's a condition that is called retinitis pigmentosa. And in retinitis pigmentosa, these rod cells are not functioning normally. And when we look more carefully... The researchers have found that the genes of the rod cells of people with RP, they do not make the proper proteins, and that's why the rod cells do not see very well. So there's many other types of conditions that might affect either the cone cells in the central vision, which makes things blurry, or the rod cells in the peripheral vision. And the scientists in 1989, they identified the first gene defect that causes the vision problem. And today, we now know of hundreds, literally hundreds of gene problems that are the cause of why these cells don't function normally. So... This is a tremendous amount of research development over these years. And what's also really very, very encouraging is the fact that now that we know which gene is abnormal, gene therapy can be performed and is being performed today. In gene therapy, a normal gene is injected into the cell of the eye through a virus. And the normal gene is then able to stimulate that cell to produce the right protein to make those cells function. And we're finding 
some very exciting results with this type of gene therapy. So for many of you who may have a condition that is genetic, you may then go to some of these different vision clinics and hospitals and they can evaluate you to see if you're a candidate for some of these types of studies. Now, there's another type of a cell in the back of the eye, which is called the retinal pigment epithelium. And the retinal pigment epithelium is a very important tissue because it provides nutrients to the rod and cone cells, and it also removes the metabolic waste. Now, one of the most common causes of blurred vision among adults is a condition called macular degeneration. And what we know about macular degeneration is that the retinal pigment epithelium does not function normally in these people. And as a result, those cone cells become damaged. And we now also know that with gene therapy, the retinal pigment epithelial tissues were working on ways to reproduce those particular types of cells as well. So it is very, very exciting with what is happening with all of this type of gene therapy. Now, one of the most common causes of vision impairment of middle-aged adults is diabetes. And what we know happens with people who have diabetes is they often have too much sugar in their blood. They often develop higher levels of cholesterol. And there's often swelling within the retina. This can then cause the blood vessels in the retina to leak and bleed. And when there's leaking and bleeding within the retina, it could damage the cells of the retina. Now, fortunately, there are new advances where we are able to identify diabetes in people earlier. We're able to look in the eyes of people and we can see if there are diabetic changes which might indicate that a person is developing or has diabetes. And we now have different types of eye drops. There are eye drops that people can take. There are also different types of laser treatments to stop the bleeding. And now we are also learning that there are new treatments where stem cells are being used to try to reproduce rod and cone cells in the retina. Now, this is very, very exciting. What a stem cell is, it is the type of cell that will develop various tissues. And when we think about an embryo, an embryo that is still in mommy's womb, it is these stem cells that become the different tissues of the eye. 
and the stem cell becomes the heart and the lung and the brain. So the scientists have been able to identify stem cells that can be manipulated and that these stem cells can be inserted into the eye to produce the tissues of the eye or even for the brain for that matter. So this is very, very exciting because if a person has damage to the retina because of diabetes or another condition, stem cell treatments are something that are very, very encouraging and something to look forward to. I know like for myself, I don't know if many of you know this, but I was an eye doctor and I then developed rod cone degeneration where both the rod cells and the cone cells of my eye died and I am currently totally blind but with the development of this technology with the stem cells I am really really excited and I can't wait uh, to the time that they tell me that they would like to try it on me and I I really want to see what this has you know for me now, a couple of other things that I'd like to talk about are what are some of the other types of developments and treatments that have been created by the scientists? We, we talked a lot about the gene therapy and the stem cell therapy and the medications and the surgeries. But also, as far as visual aids just to help people, there are many new advances in the low vision aids. Before, we used to think that low vision aid just consisted of a magnifier. But now, low vision aids involve electronics and technology. One of the really very exciting pieces of technology that's available now is called the iris vision glasses. Now, these are glasses that consist of miniaturized cameras that focus at the object you're looking at. Maybe you're on vacation in Hawaii and you're looking at a waterfall. Well, these high-resolution cameras take the picture and it displays it on a high-resolution screen and it is of such high contrast and high-resolution that for many people with low vision, when they look through this, they're able to see things much better than they can with their regular eye. But in addition, the iris vision glasses have the ability to change the magnification so you can make the image larger or smaller. You could change the contrast of it. And for many, many of the patients that I have worked with, and I, I still work at the university now in the low vision clinic, these glasses are extremely exciting and they give people the flexibility to see wherever they go. Another type of development that has been very exciting over the years are the Argus 2 implant. And this is from a company that is called Second Sight. Now, what they have done is that they have been able to use a similar approach 
where there are glasses, and the glasses will send an image, and they do have a device that is implanted in the eye very close to the retina. But their latest development is called the Orion. And the second sight Orion is even more exciting because this is basically bypassing the entire eye. They implant an array of electrodes directly on the very back of the brain where the vision occurs. And this is a way that the camera will send the signal and the picture right to that region of the brain to give people that greatest chance of having vision. So at the UCLA Ronald Reagan Library, they are beginning to do this new phase of the research with the Orion. So all in all, there are many, many very exciting developments out there, and there's many, many more to come. What I would welcome is if any of you ever do have any questions regarding any of this, uh, please send me an email, and my email is Dr. Bill Foundation. That's D R B I L L Foundation at gmail.com. Dr. Bill Foundation at gmail.com. And we will be putting this podcast along with other podcasts up at the website. And next month, we will have Richard Rueda, who is going to be talking about different ideas and strategies for careers, which is going to be a very, very exciting uh, podcast that I hope all of you will listen to. So at this time, I'm going to open it up to questions. So if you have a question, if you could unmute your phone by pressing a star one, and Dr. you could Bill? ask your question. Yes. Dr. Bill, it's Leslie. I just want to say thank you so, so much. I went to a um, research seminar Saturday from the Foundation Fighting Blindness, um, similar stuff that you've just chatted about. But I just want to say it's a very exciting time to be blind, you know, right now, which is, you know, when you say that, it's kind of like it's funny because, like you're saying, you hope the stem cell comes in your, you know, in your future. I hope it comes in my future also. <laughs> so <laughs> just thank oh. you for your knowledge. It was really, really a wonderful, wonderful lecture tonight. Oh, so thank you. Thank you, Leslie. And I have to say something else, too. You know, we are a community. We have met, many of us have met because of our vision impairment. But with all the people that I've met, because of my loss of vision, it has been just so rewarding, and I enjoy speaking with so many of you. And if if I may, if I may, I would like to ask all of you, one of our friends, Tom, and his wife, Cleo, were hoping to be here tonight, but they couldn't because of illness. And if you could all... Keep them in your prayers. I would greatly, greatly appreciate He's that. He's a wonderful man, so definitely thank you for sharing. Oh, yes, yes. Is there anybody else who has any comment or any question that they'd like to ask? Uh, Christine, the question is, how would some of our listeners tonight on the call 
be able to share this podcast after the podcast is posted up on the website. I will send an email out with that information and the direct link of where they can go and get it and share the email too. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if there's anybody who does not, uh, maybe they're not on your email list. If they want to get on my email list, they can send me an email at director17 at cclvi.org. One more time, please. Director17 at cclvi.org. Great. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, if nobody else has any other further questions. I do, I, Dr. Bill. Yeah, I have a, I have a question. Um, the VA blind centers, uh, I might be getting out to the Palo Alto, probably not till March or April. They deal with balance and vision. And do the... Do you have anything to deal with any of the VA blind centers? Because they do a lot of research, I understand, as well. Yeah, the VAs are very, very great places to go. They have very good low-vision doctors there, and I know that they are studying on the the relationship between balance and and vision. As far as which of these research um, uh, protocols they may be part of, I don't know exactly, but... uh, if you were to give me the name of the doctor you see, then I would be willing to contact them for you. Yeah, because I think, uh, well, the one that I see, we have each vision, VA regional has a visual impairment services team coordinator. So I was wondering if you had any Palo Alto deals, basically TBI balance and okay. vision, and I think Long Long Beach or Long Branch, one of, one of those L.A., one sound deal with balance as well, but not TBI. So, once again, I just didn't know what if you had any relationship with the VA. We we do communicate with them. Yes, yeah, we do. So. Okay. Any other questions? Okay, Doctor Bill, this is Cheryl. I I was oh. just thinking, uh, how would I go about knowing about a stem cell? Would I be um, you know, considered a candidate for that, would it just be that I would talk to my retinal specialist and go from there? Yes. Is that I how they that. start that? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that would be very, very good. And you're located in a good location, you know, in Indiana yeah. and Kentucky. Yeah. There's some great right. programs there. Okay, very good. Great. Thank you for being on the mm-hmm. call, Cheryl. Dr. Bill, in- Ted Cohen. Hi, Ed. How are you? I'm I'm good, sorry. I've missed the last couple. I must have fallen off the list. Uh, I live in uh, Rochester, Minnesota, where the Mayo Clinic is, and my retinal specialist referred me to a genetic counselor, and through lots of steps, they were able to do my genetic makeup, found out which gene is defective for causing my RP, and I was then contacted by the KCI Institute in Portland, Oregon, um, for a, a clinical, what is it called, one three trial, but when they got my records, they decided that I wasn't a candidate. But it was exciting to be that close. Well, you know what? They're going to probably contact you again because they're doing more and more and more research to try to find out, you know, what genes are are causing the RP. So. It's yep. it's it's really exciting. So I I would you know anticipate that uh, you might receive another call. 
And Dr. Bill, it's Leslie again. Um, also, when I went to the seminar Saturday, they also talked about, I don't know if you know about this, myretinaltracker.org. So people yes. can go yeah. on there and, you know, track it. And also I think they'll tell you how to go about getting your genetic testing done. It was pretty interesting. So yes. Have you, you've heard about, have you heard about that? Yes. Yes. Very good. Are there any other uh, comments or suggestions? Okay, well, again, I want to thank all of you for being on the call this evening, and I hope that you all be on next month. And we'd like to thank uh, Mr. Dick Burden from Airs LA for recording this. So until we all meet again next month, good night, everybody, and have a wonderful evening.